Welcome to Talking Mopars, episode number 171 and part two of the High Performance Heritage series on the Shelby Dodge era. On this episode, we're going to be talking about the Shelby Charger. Now, I know when we talk about the Dodge Charger, a lot of people don't even think about the front-wheel drive turbocharged Dodge Charger of the 1980s, but that's what we're talking about here today. It's a very cool Charger for what it was. Now, do I like them better than, say, the 1968 to 1970 Chargers? No, absolutely not. But they are cool, and they do deserve their spotlight in the high-performance heritage of Mopar. So that's what we're going to talk about here today on part two. So this is going to be a multi-part series on the Shelby Dodge era. Like I said, there's going to be quite a few episodes about it. We're going to cover all the Shelby Dodges and basically how cool they were, you know, for what they were. And I, I've always been a fan and I, I'm still in shock when I look at the history of Mopar and think that Carol Shelby was somehow involved. Um, I, I kind of wish uh, he would have been involved with Mopar instead of Ford. What kind of Shelby Dodges would we have had had Carol Shelby been involved in the 60s and 70s? It, it's a crazy thing to think about. But sometimes when I think about the high performance heritage of Mopar and Carol Shelby's involvement, I think about that. What would have happened if there was a Carroll Shelby Cuda? <laughs> you know what I mean? A Shelby Cuda? Could you imagine? Um, it just, it, it, it's a cool thought, but I am a huge fan of the Shelby Dodge era. And that's why I'm dedicating this little mini series of high performance heritage episodes to the Shelby Dodges. So without further ado, if you are a Mopar enthusiast, then you are in the right place. Don't go anywhere. You're tuned into the best Mopar enthusiast-driven podcast on planet Earth. And I am your host, Chris Albrecht, better known as the Mopar Hunter. And this is Talking Mopars. You're listening to Talking Mopars with the Mopar Hunter, your direct connection to all things Mopar. The A833 is the famed four-speed found in our beloved Mopars from 1964 until 1979. I have one in my 1972 340 Roadrunner, and when it was time to get my shift together, I reached out to pass in performance. So, if you are rebuilding your A833, need parts for it, or if you're looking to leave it in the hands of a professional to rebuild it for you, look no further than Passon Performance. Jamie Passon is an expert when it comes to these units, and I highly recommend heading over to PassonPerformance.com to get your shift together. Also, I have a question for you guys. Is your Mopar protected? Whether it's sitting outside in the elements or inside the safe confines of your man cave, it's important to keep your Mopar protected. That's why I'm excited to announce that I'm now affiliated with a company offering an amazing solution for vehicle protection. They have everything from basic indoor shields all the way to the top of the line platinum shields, offering the very best protection to keep your Mopar safe both indoors and outdoors from the elements like dust, water, snow, and even UV rays. Their products are guaranteed to fit and are backed by a great warranty. To find out more about my affiliate, please visit TalkingMopars.com, click on the Affiliates tab, and follow the link to their website. If you need protection for your Mopar, don't worry, we got you covered. And now, on to the show.
before we get started talking about the Dodge Shelby Charger, I just wanted to give a little disclaimer here, folks. I am not a Mopar encyclopedia. In fact, for these episodes, I relied heavily upon resources from the internet. And the most consistent resource I found, and I know people are going to laugh at this, is Wikipedia. So what I'm going to do is I'm actually going to read through the Wikipedia files on these specific cars, you know, and add a little bit of my own, you know, charm. <laughs> um, the problem was, is as I got into the research and as I started um, looking into these cars, there's just so much information that I didn't really want to leave anything out. And from everything that I gathered, it seems like the Wikipedia articles are pretty damn accurate. So we're going to go with Wikipedia. If there are some errors that you guys hear, maybe there's a Dodge Shelby Charger expert out there that's listening to this, and you know that there's some errors, by all means, you can write me an email, chris at talkingmopars.com and tell me where I screwed up or better yet, where Wikipedia screwed up. Because like I said, I did a lot of research and, and that's why it's been hard for me to get these podcasts out. But uh, the more I went back and referenced Wikipedia, the more I found that the information seems to be pretty accurate. So I thought the easiest way to get these episodes for this Dodge Shelby era series out would be to reference the Wikipedia. So if it sounds like I'm reading from Wikipedia, you're damn right. <laughs> I'm reading from Wikipedia. Okay. So don't light the fire too hot. Okay. <laughs> when you burn me at the stake for this one. But like I said, the information seems to be pretty accurate. So we're going to go with it. So let's get started. For 1983, Carroll Shelby modified the Dodge Charger to be sold at Dodge dealers as the Dodge Shelby Charger. Rather than focusing on speed, Shelby modified the suspension and styling. The engine compression was raised for 107 horsepower, and the manual transmission had revised ratios. Shorter springs, special wheels, and tires complemented stronger brakes and a quicker 14-to-1 power steering rack. Outside, a new nose and racing stripes accented the performance image. The car received a free-flowing exhaust system, making for a more aggressive sound. The body kits, among other parts, were often shipped to dealerships, along with the car to be put on after delivery. The reason behind this varied, but was said to speed delivery and compensate for ground clearance issues that the cars faced on many car carriers. Production was 8,251 for that first year. For 1984, the Shelby Charger could be ordered with an optional automatic transmission. There were 7,552 Shelby Chargers sold this model year. The high output engine, now up to 110 horsepower, was also available in baseline chargers and turismos. These vehicles came in Charger 2.2 and Turismo 2.2 schemes, which included Shelby Charger side ground effects, an additional skinnier front ground effect different from the Shelby Chargers due to the quad headlight fascia, 2.2 decals, and an optional hood scoop. The MPFI turbocharged Turbo 1 engine, commonly known as a T1, was added for Dodge's 1985 Shelby Charger. This engine produced 146 horsepower and was changed from its first appearance in the Dodge Daytona Turbo during the previous year. A Garrett Air Research T3 turbocharger and Chrysler slash Bosch multi-point fuel injection enabled the 2.2 liter engine to produce the additional horsepower. A total of 7,709 Shelby Chargers were made for the 1985 model year and 7,669 in 1986. 1987 was the final year with just 1,011 produced plus 1,000 more Shelby Chargers that were sent to Shelbyer's Whittier plant in California, at which time they were modified as the 1987 Shelby GLHS. And as we all know, 
GLHS stands for Goes Like Hell Some More. Dodge Shelby Chargers were available in four different color combinations, black with a silver skunk stripe from 1984 to 1987, and Santa Fe blue with a silver skunk stripe from 1983 to 1986, silver with Santa Fe blue skunk stripe from 1983 to 1986, and garnet red with a silver skunk stripe from 1984 to 1987. Now let's talk about the Charger GLHS. Carroll Shelby purchased 1,000 of the last Dodge Shelby Chargers and converted them into GLHSs in his facility at Whittier, California. Every vehicle was built and optioned the same way. All were finished in black and had special badging that marked them as Shelby, not as a Dodge. This was a continuation of the Omni GLHS from the previous year. Shelby used the Turbo 1 engine updated with the intercooler and plumbing of the Turbo 2 engine, but without the stronger forged crank, full floating pin pistons, and other durability enhancements of that engine. It has a blow-through long-runner two-piece intake and a modified turbocharger reclocked with a different compressor cover. They were rated at 175 horsepower and 175 pound-feet of torque from 2400 to 4800 RPM. The Turbo 2 also received a stronger GetRag A555 five-speed manual transmission in place of the rod linkage A525, which was still fitted to the GLHS models. The suspension was upgraded with Coney adjustable struts and shocks and uprated Goodyear Eagle GTZ rated tires. The Centurion two wheels were of Shelby's own manufacture. A special sticker on the speedometer upped the readout to 125 miles an hour and a special numbered Shelby automotive badge went in place of the normal Charger badge. The modifications prompted the federal government to declare the car a Shelby model. A Dodge badge appears nowhere on the car, unlike its five-door L-body sibling, the GLH Omni, which does have the Dodge nameplate. So that is basically the history of the Dodge Shelby Charger in a Wikipedia nutshell. As I talked about before, these are going to be like mini bite-sized episodes for the Dodge Shelby cars. So just keep that in mind. If you're saying, Chris, that was only a 10-minute episode. What are you doing to me? <laughs> Don't worry. There's going to be more to come. I like these little 10-minute um, blurbs about these individual cars. So that's what we're going to do for this entire series. So on the next episode, we're going to talk about the 1986 Shelby Omni GLHS, which was a modified Dodge Omni GLH. And as we talked about earlier, GLH stood for goes like hell and GLHS stood for goes like hell some more. So I look forward to talking about the Shelby Omni GLHS on the next episode of High Performance Parts, the Shelby Dodge era, part three. Thanks for joining me on this installment of High Performance Heritage, and we will talk again on the next one. And remember, no Mopar left behind. There you have it, folks. Another episode of Talking Mopars is in the books. For more information about this podcast or to listen and subscribe to the show, please visit TalkingMopars.com. And don't forget that you can send me your Mopar stories, questions, comments, complaints, suggestions, and everything else on your Mopar-addicted mind to Chris at TalkingMopars.com or leave me a voice message on my voicemail box at 209-28-MOPAR to hear yourself on the show. Also, if you want to help Talking Mopars, please support the people that support our show. If you need to get your shift together, reach out to PassInPerformance.com for all of your Mopar A833 four-speed needs and tell them that Chris from the Talking Mopars podcast sent you.
You can also help support the show by picking up some cool merchandise in the Talking Mopars merch shop on TalkingMopars.com. There you can order products like t-shirts, hoodies, stickers, mugs, and more. Also, if you need to help keep your Mopar protected from the elements, don't wait. Grab a car cover from the Affiliates tab on my website. The covers are great, and I bet they have a cover that would be a perfect fit for your Mopar. That's it, my friends. Until we talk again, I am your host, Chris Albrecht, and that was Talking Mopars. Thank you for listening to Talking Mopars, your direct connection to all things Mopar. Until next time, remember, no Mopar left behind.